0: So for folks who don't know me, my name is Rand Fishkin. I'm the uh, founder of a company called Moz, which was in the search engine optimization space. Started as a consultancy back in 01, became a software company in 07, uh, raised a bunch of rounds of funding. I stepped down and left that company a couple of years ago, started a new company called SparkToro, uh, which is in audience intelligence and market research software. So like yourself, Sahil, I'm a software entrepreneur. I also do a lot of speaking and writing um, and events, well, not anymore, events, <laughs> but, um, no one's doing events, but but uh, for, you know, the last decade and a half, um, a lot of travel and speaking, uh, wrote a book, Lost and Founder, that many folks are familiar with and uh, have been uh, very often a contrarian critic of big tech, probably, especially the last five years, despite also being a big fan of technology.
1: Okay. yeah i think we have a similar story in that way where we both went through kind of like that different in different ways um and you went through it first right i i more recently went through that kind of vc exit um in a sense um which you call lost and founder um and it's a great book everyone should read it i've read it um and us uh, and then yeah also kind of outspoken like about the issues um and but also, I feel like pretty nuanced about it. Maybe Twitter sometimes removes that, and we'll get into that. Um, I think we both, you know, think it's a tool that has purpose um, when used, you know, used well. Um, I
0: mean, one of the things that surprises me most about Twitter, especially the last two weeks, is that um, while it has been a source of anxiety, it's also been a source of comfort and of sharing and of. Uh, social inclusion, right? I think that, that for me, I don't know about for everyone, but but I felt it from my network and community that Twitter is like a place where we go to have some of the conversations uh, that maybe we'd like to have in person, but can't because we can't get together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've already noticed a shift of almost like what Twitter was back in the day where it was more conversational. Yes. Whereas I feel like in the sort of pre two weeks ago, uh, and certainly for the last few years before that, it felt more like a billboard kind of thing where you would kind of put a thought up there um, and then it would kind of disseminate uh, and people would react, but often the reactions felt like for another person's audience, it was kind of like this uh, marketing engine almost. I mean, I think that happens when things just grow, audiences grow, the platforms grow monetization opportunities grow. And I think this tweet, so the reason we this started this conversation um, was I tweeted this thing, uh, which March 3rd, for what it's worth, <laughs> uh, 2020, I said, opinion, uh, judging someone by the way they vote is stupid, voting is 0.0001% of how one spends their time and inconsequential 99.9999% of the time. And then you replied saying could not disagree more and then I said, basically, like, let's have a chat um, uh, and talk about it, you know. And I think that's – it's a, it's funny because even now I look at that tweet, and I'm like – especially with what's transpired since, and we met in person in Seattle and talked about it too. Um, but just with uh, with what's happened in the world in the last two weeks, I feel like my opinion on it has almost changed. And um, So maybe I'll start there as, like, a, kind of like a defense.
0: <laughs> well, um, I, I, I would have – like, I have uh, empathy for, I think, part of your position on that, right? Which is that, yeah. look, voting is this thing you, you do one time, you know, every year or every couple of years, maybe if you're less responsible, every four years only. And uh, many people don't put a ton of thought and effort into who they're voting for, right? Or what they're voting for, right? They sort of look at okay, I'm gonna look at this voting sheet and maybe I heard something from a friend about how Prop 202 is bad, so I'm gonna vote against it, right? And it's not, yeah, you know, it's not a it's ton a of, yeah. um, hey, I'm gonna, uh, I'm a high information person and I go out and I do my research and I try and collect different thoughts from different sources and, and make the most informed decision. I think that's how we wish voting was, mm-hmm. um, but it is not. And so I, I do give, I, I want to give you some credit there, right? Because I think that I have empathy for the fact that not everyone um, maybe even necessarily votes their true beliefs, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it's possible that, you know, you vote in a certain way and uh, you don't actually support the things that you've voted for, but you've been misled or received bad information or um, or just in you know, it was just not that important to you. It's not like you're getting paid to do this. It doesn't, it doesn't. Feel like it directly impacts your life in that moment. Yeah. Um, and I think this is one of the challenges, right, that we can see these last couple of weeks. Human mm. beings are terrible at dealing with long term, slow burning threats and pretty remarkable at dealing with short term things that feel really dangerous. I, yeah. It is unimaginable to me that. Uh, let's say six weeks ago we said hey as a planet we collectively want to stop climate change in its tracks everybody stay home (laughs) you could you could not get humanity to do it yeah just would not happen but a crisis like COVID occurs and people are scared enough right and and somehow thoughtful enough to say yeah you know what Mm -hmm. We know it's gonna hurt the economy we know that's gonna have long-term consequences I know it's going to hurt my income and a bit, but I, I care about people who are immunocompromised. I care about uh, elderly people. I care about, you know, the, the health and well-being of millions of people across this planet who won't survive this, this disease. So I'm staying home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. People will react.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting because collective action in general is such a hard problem in any voting or any, any way. And COVID has been the first time really I feel like where people across the below billions of people really have like all committed in a kind of selfless, it feels like selfless way. Yeah. I'm sure there are some, it feel, it's definitely more direct in, you know it's kind of climate change on some sort of like crazy uh, sort of trajectory like just speed wise. Um, but it's been, it's been inspiring I think to see that. Uh, but it took time right like I feel like it did take a few even for me personally like some time of looking at it and being like this seems bad but it's probably not that bad
0: right and, I mean what, what when did we meet in that coffee shop in Seattle was that oh, nine ten days ago
1: I hope it was more that. you might be right
0: <laughs> and it was not yeah it was it, obviously was, it was today it was, yeah. right if today we had that appointment on the calendar. We hey, Sahil, sorry, like, we, obviously we have to cancel, let's turn this into a video meeting or whatever.
1: Oh, 100%, yeah. So, it's Well, that's yeah, well, you yeah. know, the, the meme The meme that people have been talking about, this, this is this concept of exponential growth, right, and all these, all these sort of VCs and, and stuff kind of saying, oh, no, you know, I understand exponential growth, therefore I realize this thing is going to be a big deal, which started off, I think, almost like a joke, like these people are getting, maybe applying a heuristic that they're, that they're really familiar with in a different context and then kind of seeing it play out almost exactly like that, which, which is when you have something that compounds at any any percentage rate, really, right, 30%, uh, in this case, 30% day over day, you're, you're getting the, the, the growth that, that that results in, the absolute growth that that results in, is, is like basically incomprehensible to any human being, uh, no matter how, like, I don't think I've... Man, anyone that can understand it intuitively, you have to kind of do the math in a sense and and kind of look at it. You know, kind of that that Asian proverb of you know you have like one rice on a chessboard and you have two rice on the next piece and how many rice would be on the last piece? And it's like like sixteen trillion or something like that, (laughs) right? It's just like a and 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 if you're in startups, you might be a little bit more familiar with how that can happen. That kind of hockey stick growth that that we talk about. but it is, is—it's it, the scary thing is that I think we haven't really addressed, I feel like, on the zeitgeist level is the hockey stick always looks like a hockey stick. So where we're at now might look like almost flat compared to the next two weeks, for example, right? That, and
0: that's, that's almost certainly what the curves in Italy show, right? So yeah, exa- say, oh, exactly. Unless you do
1: something that. drastic like what we've really started to do, I think, collectively, socially distance oh, ourselves. And, and lockdowns and all these
0: sorts of things yeah yeah to me this this sort of uh, look this this crisis obviously um brings into stark relief the choices that we've made as voters right because i I think there are you know reasonable people would could disagree but it certainly seems like the leadership we have in place will determine very much the future outcome let's just restrict to the united states right the leadership they have in place uh, at the federal level, and at each of our states' levels, and even city governments, will determine a ton of the future of how, you know, the small businesses down the street from me survive this or don't. Yeah. And How you know how and whether uh, they are able to exist, what they look like in six months, what our daily lives look like in six months. You know, certainly it's the case that if the United States had taken the precautions uh, that we're taking this week. If we had done that two weeks ago, Mm. we would have likely prevented um, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of more deaths that will occur. Mm. And we might have saved ourselves a few trillion dollars of economic loss over the next Mm. couple of years. So that is a really uh, direct thing. And I, like I said, people might argue, hey, well, you know, what are you saying, Rand? Are you saying that if in 2016, Hillary Clinton had been elected. We absolutely would have done this the right way, and blah blah blah. I'm not. I don't know that. It's impossible to show that, right? Maybe, uh, maybe the Trump administration's actions have been faster than Clinton's would have. Maybe here in Washington, where I live, uh, you know, the governor Jay Inslee, maybe he was will end up being the wrong choice because if you run the simulation with I can't even remember who he ran against in 16, but whoever the other person was that they would have reacted two weeks faster and shut down bars and restaurants and Washington would have far less of an outbreak than it has now. These are hard things to know, but yeah. I, this is where I struggle is, I think it's impossible to say that it, it, it is 0.001% of your mm. humanity, right? Because yeah. humanity is so, we are so intricately tied to each other that voting is... Um, it, it, you know, it's not just an obligation or responsibility. It is also so indicative to me about how you, how your world beliefs, uh, coexist with the rest of the planet and how you perceive other people in humanity. It, it's intrinsically tied to sort of your, your personality and, and who you are as a human being and how you represent yourself. So a lot of that's correlation, not causation, mm-hmm. but, um,
1: yeah, it serves as a proxy for other beliefs that you might hold, and and also maybe not more than beliefs. It might, it might serve as a, as, sorry, um, it might serve as like a, as a um, proxy for actions that you might be taking in your life as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, like, certainly. I, this is one of the one of the topics you know that I thought was really interesting. Are you getting a good feed for me?
1: Yeah, you're good. You're
0: good. Okay. Yeah one of the topics I thought was really interesting that that you and I discussed in the cafe, uh, whenever that was 10, 10 days ago, mm-hmm. um, was this idea of, do, would you rather have someone, you know, or many someones, uh, in your life who kind of, in your opinion, whatever your opinion is, vote the wrong way, but are good to you personally and kind in your friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I found it fascinating that prior to 2016, I would say I had not many, but plenty of, you know, somewhere between half a dozen close, maybe around half a dozen close friends, and many dozens of acquaintances and, um, you know, more distant friends who uh, believed or who voted very differently than I did in in sort of presidential and federal level elections, and. Uh, that that changed. Like I don't know about whether this happened to you. I, I suspect it happened to a lot of people who are watching this, right? That um, there were friendships that were dissolved after 2016, right? Mm-hmm. For for me, for for my wife and I, you know, a um, couple of friends of ours who basically, um, you know, one half of the couple believed one way and the other the other way, and they. They couldn't reconcile those differences, and, you know, that caused uh, splits. That, uh, that was real, right? Yeah.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, for me, it was, it was weird because I had so few people in my life that that viewed that went the other way. So I voted for Hillary Clinton. I was living in San Francisco. Um, and I knew almost, like, the only people I knew maybe were people that were libertarian, uh, that kind of maybe opted out of the system and, like, voted for Gary Johnson or something like that. Maybe um, voted for Evan McMullen if people remember yeah. him. <laughs> yep,
0: no, <laughs> uh, I had a few uh, Mormon I mean friends who were who big. Yeah, McMullin,
1: exactly. yeah. Uh, and I met a lot of those when I moved to Utah. to Utah soon after that, but that, for me, it was it was like I had a problem with, I had only a caricature of what a Trump supporter in my head was because I had no context for, it. I couldn't even like call someone and be like, hey, what, you know? What happened here or like why did you do this or it was all it was the only interactions i had with people like that were on twitter and that as
0: we yeah. talked about before is like not
1: maybe a great place
0: to form a perspective on sure some- yeah no i mean twitter can get very insular and, and bubbly yeah. I, um, i'm not sure why i had a larger exposure I, my um statistical suspicion is just that uh you know i had Family and friends who were from those regions that were that that had some heavy support. Seattle, obviously, like San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, extremely uh, liberal and and left wing mm-hmm. for the you know for the most part. But mm-hmm. uh, the rest of Washington can can vary. Uh, and I know California has parts of it too that that can vary. I, my my sense though is that the um, you know the 2016 election was. I don't know if it was the first time, but it was certainly the first time for me when, when voting felt like more of a personal act Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, um, my perception, uh, at the time, which I, I I would say has actually moderated a little bit, uh, over the last four years, especially as I've met more people who voted for Donald Trump, but maybe have, have different kinds of beliefs, uh, than I would have expected but but a big portion of that felt to me like a look if you are black or brown screw you mm-hmm. right like it, that is that is how the the act of voting felt to me and it um yeah it hit really hard right i think that that's because of the the style of campaign that trump ran and probably the media that i was exposed to and the people that i was exposed to Um, right. I, you know, Geraldine and I are lucky that we have a lot of friends who, who don't look like us. Right. And, and, and are from different parts of the world and, um, have different experiences growing up here in the U S but, but certainly for those folks, I know it felt, um, it felt to many of of our friends and to us like, like this personal attack, Mm -hmm. you know, like this, um, I can't explain how it was never like that before, right? Mm. George W. Bush, it was like, well, I don't support his policies. I'm against him. I think the war in Iraq was a bad idea. You know, how how can you be so blind to the big picture here? But it didn't feel personal, and this yeah. one felt personal.
1: That's interesting. Um, yeah, no, I think that's true. I think the the thing that Trump did very differently than basically anybody else is just how vulgar I think he was. Um, and I don't know if he's continued to, to be that, uh, but, but definitely during the campaign, it was, you know, I remember his, his whatever his announcement was. Um, and he said that thing about uh, Mexicans crossing the border and how there, some of them are rapists or, but the way he said it was this very strange way of talking too, and I think that's another weird thing about him and just the, 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 the way that he talks often implies something much worse than almost like the words he's literally using. And if Peter Thiel kind of was lambasted for saying, you shouldn't take him literally, you should take him seriously. Right. And I feel like um, it took me almost years to realize kind of what that meant, but just the way that Trump speaks is so vulgar and it kind of like how a three-year-old would speak about something and you almost have to like take the words and be like, okay, that's not what you actually mean. Cause you couldn't possibly mean that. Just like, no, you know, no way. Um, well,
0: and, and many, yeah. many of the transcripts that you read just make no sense when you read yeah. them aloud, right? Or, or read them yes, on a exactly. page. And I think, you know, that's another um, that's another challenge, I think, for, for people who are used to uh, certain forms of information dissemination at, you know, from government officials, from people who generally, you know, are um, uh, in positions of power and influence is the, the expectation is that the language will be more formal, more precise, um, more inclusive, uh, less profane, right, than what, what we have now in office. And um, I, I think that, that the fact that it appealed to certain people uh, more so than, you know, the language that, that we might be accustomed to in the past was also really challenging for me Mm -hmm. Um, it's continued to be challenging for me to you know to find ways i want to find ways because you know fundamentally i want to be able to empathize with anyone and understand their position but it has been really challenging for me to empathize with people who for whom that language resonates but the language of whatever elizabeth warren or hillary clinton or Mm -hmm. Um, or mitt Romney right mm-hmm. Mitt Romney's a conservative he's a Republican, he ran for president like his language was the style I was accustomed to John McCain, mm-hmm. um, you know tons and tons of people on across the political spectrum yeah uh, just don't don't speak or think I think the way that that Donald Trump does and so mm-hmm. that um, that act made it I think it created more polarization than than what I'm accustomed to. Mm-hmm. It was like this whole whole new world, right? And in a lot of ways, waking up after the twenty sixteen election felt similar to the way that waking up over the last two weeks about COVID has felt. Mm -hmm. Had this like, oh, we are in a new kind of world, and I need to adjust my all my calibrations for what I thought I knew about the world before.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. No, I think that's a that's super spot on. It feels like a like you woken up and it's like you're in a dream state or something like that
0: yeah yeah exactly Uh, it's a so so tell me like for you know you and on on this specific subject of like yeah voting and judging people what 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 inspired the tweet yeah yeah that's always good
1: (laughs) that's always yeah good good context so uh I think what inspired the tweet was, I remember one of the things that happened when I, when I was living in SF, there are a lot of people that are super progressive and liberal, um, but they they wouldn't really participate, and I would maybe even put myself into this bucket, is like, they wouldn't really participate in their community so much, um, yeah. they would, they would sort of, I think the, maybe the, and definitely, again, like, has, a lot of this has changed, right, since, since 2016, and since COVID, even, like, I think people are shifting the way they think about community, and participation in different different facets of their life but basically it was like I give a bunch of money to the federal government or our city government or at different levels and they they they're they're good at these certain things and they're gonna take my money and spend it better than I could spend it and then I can go focus on what I'm good at which is like participating in the economy uh building a business hiring people etc 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 um and then I And, but that's kind of almost like the, not the the end limit, but a huge chunk of my social participation, my community participation was in in the voting and sort of tax, you know, voting for higher tax, taxes on myself almost, uh, in a way, was a big part of my sort of commitment to my country or to my community. Uh, And then I went to Provo, which is kind of the opposite on that, right? Which is like, we actually don't think the government should, uh, we, the world, we, Provo people would say um, that, taxes should be incredibly minimal because I'm really good at caring for my community. I do a lot for my community. I plant trees. I volunteer. I donate. I do X, Y, Z thing. Uh, but what that means is like I've done a better job than the than if I gave a bunch of money to the government. Um, and so therefore like I should be taxed as minimally as possible. Uh, and I'm going to vote for the people that sort of do that, which is in general conservative Republicans. Um, and in, in 2016 was either Trump or Johnson or one of the other non Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton in Provo got around 13% of the vote, which is actually third place. Um, after Evan McMullen and Donald Trump, Donald Trump got 45%. I think Evan McMullen got 23%. Uh, it was the only county, I think, in America that Hillary got, got third. Um, wow. Yeah, crazy, uh, uh, crazy thing. Uh, Because, yeah, having the whole Mormon thing, right? Sure, sure. Uh, And I think I was thinking, I think I was thinking about that Where I was like, sometimes I see these phenomenal people that do so much for the communities. They care a lot about climate change. They implement it in their daily life, like the way that they live. They might not own a car. They might skateboard everywhere. They live incredibly cheaply. They buy all-use clothing. uh, And then, but they voted for the sort of libertarian conservative person. And and then I know people in San Francisco that basically uh, do none of those things, but they voted for Hillary. And in my head, I would just like this kind of weird, and of course, it's a simplification, right? But I was like, what, who, it's not a pure ladder, but I was like, who, if I had to pick one group uh, that's done more for climate change or or been better for climate change, like which group would that be? And I was just like, I don't know. And so therefore I shouldn't judge, I would probably bias towards one group over the other, but I shouldn't judge the other one because uh, it is complicated and voting is one of the many things. Um, and, you know, and then there was like this third group I thought of, which is like surfers in Hawaii, which are people that politically align with me and probably do nothing bad for climate change. Like they are, you know, surfing and that's all they do. And that's like the best case scenario. And they don't even vote at all. Uh, and so it was, but again, I took that complex set of thoughts and said, voting is inconsequential most of the time and a tiny part of your time most of the time. So you shouldn't judge anyone for that. Um, and I think I would, I would say one, definitely what I was wrong about was time. I I think time is not a great proxy for if you should judge someone or not, because you can, there's a, you can do a lot of really great or a lot of really bad things in a very short amount of time. Um, so that's not the best the, the best proxy, but I think the consequentialism is, is 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 accurate in which often a vote doesn't matter. But what we've seen since, especially with COVID, is like you don't know how much your vote matters, and that's one of the weird that's one of the weird things about voting. I think it's one of the weird things about like even picking health insurance um, is is you're you're being asked to make a decision that is incredibly unpredictable, right like predicting. Yeah for example, predicting like how much your vote is going to be consequential in whatever issue um, is incredibly difficult to really, to do any real, you know, like when, when, when Obama said, you know, we wanna make health insurance as easy as picking, I don't know, whatever, whatever he said, picking shampoos on Amazon or something. I think, I think in my head that made sense intellectually. Like, yes, it should, you should have that much knowledge and you should see the price and all these sorts of things. But the thing that's incredibly difficult about health insurance is you have, one, you have no idea sick you're going to be tomorrow and 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 your past sickness is not super predictive um on future uh but then also like your ability to pay does not correlate with your ability uh to want to pay right like when your health is on the line you will basically pay an infinite amount of money for a product and so uh, sort of maybe a more traditional sort of free market capitalist system like a marketplace might not work uh because how do you you know like and you've seen this in, in a lot of different other avenues you've seen it in education with student loans when when the upside of being educated is feels limitless, you're willing to pay an obscene amount of money for that education, um especially if you're not on the hook for it immediately um, but anyways, yeah, I think that's a lot of what was what was going through my head was like we and the, and the, I think the thing that I react negatively to often, uh, and even um, I've noticed this. I live in P- Portland now, um, and we just as of yesterday at like three p.m. or something, we we closed down restaurants and bars. So we were one of the slowest cities, major cities, to do it. Um, we did it after New York, and, and we and the Oregon governor was like really against it for a long time, and I assume it was an economic reason. Um, like those, Absolutely. Like, those are the two things that I think every, 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 every politician is trying to balance, right, and figure out for themselves what those things even mean. Um, and, but I was on this call with a bunch of Portland people, and it was like, oh, man, if we voted, just voted for more Democrats or whatever, or like, and I'm like, it's not that simple, because this person's a Democrat. And like, you don't know, every, especially when it feels so direct, I think simplifying it as like, just us versus them. I, I, I'm always a little, especially because I lived in Provo, Utah for two and a half years, and I have so much like, I almost have like, I feel obligated <laughs> to like, be like, hey, no, like this is what that person would say, you know?
0: Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, even though I still don't think I'm, I, I would never consider myself right-leaning or, or right-wing or right-anything really probably, conservative, et cetera. Um, I always feel like I'm like the person that needs to pipe up for that for that group. Just like I felt like I had to, pipe up for the Liberals when I was living in Utah, too. Uh, And so, any yeah, any times, and I'm sure that's the other thing you see on Twitter a lot, is just people saying, oh, these people are are wrong or bad or responsible. Uh, That's always difficult for me to hear is when people call people responsible for something maybe as indirect as voting, Um, because it's not to say that voting doesn't matter, but to say this happened and it's because it's your fault, almost. I think that's also difficult because it's kind of like applying hindsight. To, you know, like you, you voted without, without predicting the future, but knowing what the future is, not always. But I think yeah. that's a lot of where I come from and my kind of, my emotional kind of reaction to stuff is often, I think, based in those, in that kind of uh, thought
0: process. Yeah, I, let's see. So I, I am definitely someone who in the past, and even now sort of sees events unfold, um, certain events unfold and says, well, the the blame for this lies with who, right? Whom or what, right? And and a big part of the systems, I mean, here in the United States, it's a complicated system. There's a huge engine of um, dollars, right? That feed in from, from wealthy people and, and corporations to a political system that Absolutely shifts and swings votes, but I I also I have this this sort of core belief about what's what's good and evil, right? And and um, for example, it is uh, fundamentally, in my opinion, evil to uh, gerrymander districts or suppress votes or uh, create very few polling places or or polling requirements so that you intentionally, you know that a group of people will be underrepresented uh, in, you know, in your state, region, county, country, whatever. And that um, historically, if you go back, you know, 50 years you can see Democrats doing that, right? So uh, this has happened in both parties. Currently, it is almost exclusively Republicans. You could argue that is because Democrats benefit when more people vote because statistically more people tend to vote Democrat, and so the Republican Party benefits when they can, you know, shrink voter turnout. Generally speaking, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know how you mentally um, or or emotionally get through the. Well, I like I personally like lower taxes and think it'll be good for the world, or I personally like. Uh, less spending on transportation and healthcare, and I want more spent on whatever military. Um, I personally, you know, whatever the the many conservative positions. I don't like restrictions on assault weapons. Um, I want to be able to, you know, have fun and enjoy my use of my AR. Uh, I don't know what the actual assault rifle mm-hmm. numbers are, but
1: yeah, I, AR- I want to be able to
0: enjoy those, and and like I get a lot of fun out of them. And in many cases, individually on these positions. I have empathy. Right? I can come around to the idea of okay, if you believe in a world where people are like your Provo Utah example is great for this soil because you know, you said, "Hey, I'm surrounded by these people who are very active in their community." And I agree with you. I've been to Provo, I've been to to Utah. I've seen, you know, how incredibly involved not just the Mormon Church, but like many people in that geographic area are involved in helping people in their communities. So I can understand them saying, "Hey, we have this involvement. Maybe we need less of the government doing this job. Um, we want less of the government doing that job. So I have some empathy there. I fundamentally disagree. I, I think there should be professional people handling many aspects of those things. And I think that in countries where that's been embraced, it's generally better for the population than where it's been, um, you know, uh, left, left to private industry and private individuals. But we can disagree about that. Reasonable people can disagree. Gun rights. I think, look, driving is way more dangerous than guns. And we all do it, and we have not banned cars. So, okay, right? If your position is like, look, we allow dangerous things because we enjoy them and we get satisfaction from them and they bring us whatever positive benefits. And guns do that for me. So screw you, I don't wanna, I don't want you to take away my assault rifles. And I'm kind of like, eh, I disagree, I don't think it's the right move. But I understand where you're coming from. Lots of dangerous things are allowed. You know, gun deaths are terrible and horrifying. But um, okay, right? Like I can I can see that position. Uh, voter suppression, mm-hmm. women's rights, rights for people of color. Um, you know, the the there's a there's a handful of issues where um, I cannot I cannot bring myself to imagine mm-hmm. an ethical way to think through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my empathy falls apart. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's where for me, right, as a, you know, I over intellectualize a lot of things, but in, in this particular mm-hmm. case, that's where a lot of my judgment based on voting comes from yeah. is that there's a few core issues where I just, I can't see how it's not evil. And so, look if you're going to vote for that party i think you have to first change the party's positions to mm-hmm. reflect things that are more positive otherwise i i can't get behind how that act is right mm-hmm. even if you're doing lots of other ethical things in your life right and even if you are you know at your core someone who helps people and and is loving to your friends and family and all those kinds of things the fact that you won't extend um, your kindness and your recognition of what is ethical to a broader swath of humanity
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, makes me disappointed, right? Yeah. I, I want better from people. And uh, look, right now in the United States, uh, I direct that primarily at, at, at the Republican Party, the conservative party, but mm-hmm. there, there probably were times, like I said, over the last 50 years, where I think you could reasonably point to the Democrats and say, mm-hmm. they're the ones who I can't find enough, a way to think about Whatever this issue that they support ethically, um,
1: yeah, yeah. I remember reading. I think this is I'm um, not that long ago. I think 2014 or something uh, where California went through. I I think it was a it was like a midterm, and every every single um house seat in the in California was in the legislature um, was Democrat or went Democrat. And this is this is kind of gerrymandering, I think, basically like and uh, the voters at actually did a referendum and said this is we actually we don't even if we were mostly liberal people, we don't want this because it sort of it's like too much job security for for Democrats. Like even if even if we agree with them, we want more competition to push them to be to be yeah, better, right? right? Gerrymandering in my in my opinion is bad, especially because I'm I'm like a super pro competition and pro-innovation person. And okay. so in, in my oh, opinion, two. Yeah. right? And so I think it was something like 2014 or 2012 or something where basically the voters said, because California has a referendum system that I think 50% or 67% have to say we want this. So they they added, I think it was the country's first uh, independent redistricting commission or committee. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and, and actually the, I think the house sued the vote the voters basically or sue the state or however it works. Yeah. Um, because they were like, you can't, this is our duty as legislatures to 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 figure this thing out, the, the districts, and lost in this California Supreme Court. Uh and and the, I think four out of the top seven uh, most competitive districts in America are in California. They're they're wow. and and three out of the seven are in Arizona, mm-hmm. which is when basically went through the same thing I think two years later. Uh, okay, Arizona is red, but basically went through the exact same thing where like they just had so they gerrymandered everything perfectly. Um, and then the, the voters who are mostly conservative, uh, or at least Republican voters were like, we don't want this. We, don't, we actually, we don't want this at all, um, got rid of it. And so it's exciting to me because it shows that in blue states and red states, there's a template for making this change happen, you know. And I think it's now in seven different states or something have an independent redistricting committee. And to me, it should be, hopefully, is in 50 states in no short order. These things happen really slowly and then all at
0: once. Um, I mean, this is, you know, this is one of the things that I look at um, with, with the COVID outbreak, right? You see Ohio shutting down their primary. Florida, uh, I think Florida ran theirs, but but other states are delaying theirs. Right? Yeah, Ohio delayed theirs, yeah, today. Yeah, but potentially for a long time. Yeah. And you know the the argument being made is essentially, hey, we we have to vote by mail. We don't know how long this crisis could continue, but vote by mail works extraordinarily well in a number of states already. Washington being one of them, I think Oregon as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right, the the ballot. You know, it's very hard to tamper with. There's almost no um, uh, plausible way to cheat the system. Even if you do somehow do some voter fraud, you can always go back and look through it. Right. It just the, the postal Service is set up really well to handle this it, it's wonderful right it's a great great system and you can't you you have
1: to, time you never have to like you can find the curve in a sense of voting you yeah. can get you can get people like exactly. weeks and before
0: you don't, to, you don't have to stress about like uh, the the voter returns from polls you don't have to you don't have to stress about like, there's a lot of you know initiatives like hey we should give everyone election day off so that they can go to the polls mm-hmm. or you just send it by mail so yeah, it only takes them like money. five minutes to fill in the ballot right you, So you don't lose the, whatever, productivity or workday or whatever it is. So there's a ton of of good reasons for that. And crises like COVID might accelerate that, right? People might say, hey, you know what? Vote by mail. That's the only way that we can make a a safe and fair election. We have to do it uh, this way because CDC guidelines are not going to let us do it any other way. So Mm -hmm. we're switching to that. And then that infrastructure remains in place for a long period of time and and potentially means that way more of the United States' population votes, which I think is also an extraordinarily good thing. Um, You know, there's, yeah, yeah, there's just a a lot of potential benefit here. I love, you know, one of the other things that that the administration has proposed uh, yesterday, today, right? So some congressional Democrats and some, um, it was a guy from Harvard, who basically said, "Hey, we should make immediate cash payments to all Americans.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: Sawhill, you should get a check in the mail for forty-five hundred dollars. Rand, you get a check in the mail. Every single person in this country gets a check for forty-five hundred dollars that you can go cash. Basically, to prevent the forty percent, fifty percent of Americans who are most at risk of losing, you know, houses, rent, not being able to cover bills, not being able to buy food, blah, 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 because of this crisis." And that's never been done. Like that is, has that is just never been tried before and it's on the table and it's supported by, frankly, a presidential administration who four days ago, I could never have imagined them um, hmm. accepting that. So I- Yeah. Well, some of the- some of the get through this. Yeah, I think some of the
1: exciting innovations often happen when there's like an argument that's like, you know, option A or option B, and it might be like voter suppression or vote by mail or whatever. And then often the answer is like this thing that h- happens on a left field. It's like, actually this thing over there now makes way more sense. And actually like both sides who might've been arguing about this point are like, actually, that sounds great to us. Like, let's yeah. do that. Um, and, and because they're not, they don't have that emotional investment into what they were, you know, because it's a kind of a totally new outsider argument like Andrew Yang's freedom. dividend. Yeah. basically um, it has a lot of, uh, of sort of support from politicians and then also a lot of support, I think potentially from voters. Cause I think one of the hard things, one of the things I noticed in Provo um, was people often the way you speak about something affects how you support it or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of these. it's almost like a kind of a, an emotional sunk cost where if I you, mean, this
0: is, the, this is the, the core of marketing, right? Everything that yeah. I do and, and have worked on right in my career is, is around marketing and you can see how, A brand or branding, including language, is hugely powerful in changing minds. Right? If you talk about uh, what was the the classic example in 2016, do you support Obamacare? Yeah. Do you support the American uh, Care Act? Right. Yeah. The Affordable
1: Care Act.
0: Affordable, right? Affordable Care Act, right? And people, if you ask people about the ACA, it's like 75 percent. If you ask them about Obamacare, it's like 49 percent. What's the difference? It's exactly the same thing. Well, one has Obama in the (laughs) name. Okay. All right. There you go.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. No. That's a that's a really really good point. I mean, the other the other thing that's really hard is when it's it's cool now because it, it, when you have a, a crisis, you have to come up with like solutions to very specific problems. So it's like, how do we solve this specific problem? Whereas often, I think when you're voting for one party or another, you are speaking in such abstract terms because you have to pick one sort of like one checkbox that has to represent like all of your ideas in one. And some of those ideas might be, you know, really uh like as you mentioned, like might might be just like feel evil, right? And so even though you there might be like eight out of ten ideas you really like, two of them are really, really, really bad. And they might be so bad that you can't even you're like, I can't vote for you, sorry, because it doesn't matter how good you are on these things, like this thing is too far. I mean, and it, it might go the other way as well.
0: Right? Yeah, in Provo, right? I think Evan McMullen is a really good example of that, where mm-hmm. people said, look, I generally support more conservative policy. But I cannot get behind, you know, mm. Donald Trump is a, as a as Republican candidate, and so I'm voting for yeah Evan McMullin because I, I feel that yeah. like he represents you know whatever my exactly so I don't and I, what I, use without the one hundred percent. I think the the the
1: the one thing that was really surprising to me in Utah was one Bernie Sanders support was a lot stronger than I thought, hmm. um, and he, he yeah it's a really weird thing. Uh, I think that might that might just be because utah because of the church and like they're much more i wouldn't say socialist because again like it's a marketing thing but a lot of the ideas i think he stands for really resonate there and utah has its own weird brand of conservatism um you know they all give 10 percent to the mormon church which is kind of a socialist idea almost
0: um yeah
1: good point but they would consider it voluntary instead of maybe forced or something something like that um but um yeah, I don't know. I forget what, what exactly my point was now, but the let me try to think what it was. What were, what were you talking about just before?
0: Well, so I, I mean, I think I think that the right support for oh yeah, I remember now, or, yeah. or or yeah, support yeah. for like these yeah, yeah, yeah these hard to reconcile ethical yeah. issues that your party might believe in. Yeah, my sense is that you're making a really good point here, which is we if we judge people. Uh, based on their vote, we have to make sure that we consider the intent behind it, not mm. merely the outcome of it. Yeah. Right? So if you're, if the intent behind your vote was, uh, look, I like my guns, and uh, and I don't, you know, I don't want that restricted. I, um, generally speaking, want uh, lower taxes. I want more people to be responsible for their own communities and the people in them. Um, I think that a social support network is a wonderful thing, but I want that provided by myself, my neighbors, my church. That mm-hmm. is very different from, uh, you know, I, I imagine right. There's probably there's probably very few people, but like the the person who hangs up the Confederate flag right mm-hmm. in their living room, and and votes yeah. conservative is fundamentally very different from yeah. the person who says, hey, my community and and me and my neighbors in my church are better at providing social services than the government is. And mm-hmm. that's who I want to do yeah. Those are two really different mm-hmm. um, reasons to vote for the same party. And you could, I'm sure, right, someone who is highly critical of the D- Democratic Party and of liberals in the United States would, would be able to point out similar, you know, hard to reconcile.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there are, there are ideas that to a, like a middle of the road conservative, they might look at Bernie, for example. Um, and say he's, you know, honest and eloquent and like he has a lot of really great ideas, he's really smart, but this one thing he he advocates for, I think is just like so wrong that I cannot f- possibly support him and then also anyone that votes for him, I just can't get around how they do that, right? Um, yeah. like for example, uh, uh, this is what I was, I remembered, uh, I had a, met a friend, one of the first friends I met in, in Utah and he said his mom votes almost votes Democrat. He 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 said she votes like she believes in every single policy platform basically that Democrats have except for one, um, which is abortion. And she's just like fundamentally morally not uncommon, but in in, in Utah, um, or she was she lives in Idaho, but like she just fundamentally thinks abortion is 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 wrong and is in a few cases um should be allowed. Um Health of, the, health of the mother, uh, incest, rape are the three common ones, um, and the same. That's what the Mormon Church says as well. That's kind of like their position as a church is that abortion is is up to the mother in those scenarios, um, and but she would never vote Democrat uh, unless, uh, unless 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 the Democrats sort of more visibly acknowledge that that abortion was was wrong, basically. Um, And it was really a fascinating thing for me because I had never met anyone that expressed voting conservative in that way, which is like, basically, I vote completely, like, I believe on almost every issue economically, et cetera, on the Democrat side. But because of the the messaging, uh, she feels that, like, Democrats are almost pro-abortion. They're, like, so, like sort of aspirational about it almost and she just gets so turned off by that idea like she's like I even agree with them I just think we they should admit that it's a terrible thing um and it just it was it was it was like the the first time that I felt like I was out almost outside my body like I was able to kind of look at my own party and I considered myself a democrat at that time like I was like oh I can see how you would when the way that they spoke about it, I was like, oh, I could see how that kind of that word evil, like how you could see that of me by the way that totally.
0: I, I I will I will write right, that that I think the um the success of um, conservative media and and the failure of what conservative folks often feel is the mainstream liberal, liberal media um to position abortion in a in a way that is um, as serious as anyone takes it. Like, you know, I know, um, many people, I'm sure you do as well, right. Who are, uh, liberal, who are Democrats and their feelings about abortion probably mirror your friend's mom far more than they mirror your friend's mom's impression of what they must think. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, yeah, this, this framing, this branding problem mm. is a huge one. And I think that also creates a lot of the anathema and anger between people in the United States, myself included, right? The, the personal, how, how personally attacked I felt, mm. right? How offended I felt when, you know, people voted for Donald mm. Trump in 2016. Yeah. It, I'm sure that must, it must be a similar sensation for her. Like, yeah. yeah of like how can you you know whatever
1: yeah 100 percent. i think that's totally spot on like to her it might have been the exact same like there's like you you this group of people these millions of people in america are just wrong like this kind of like sort of like holistic wrong and it, it reminds me of that you know that kind of saying like what happens when an what when an unstoppable force hits an immovable wall right and it's like you have two ideas that are like so powerful that they kind of like, nothing else matters. Um, in the same world to her, it might be abortion to us, it might be gerrymandering or something related to immigration or like, or even abortion on the other way, right? We might right. say, right. Like, I, I would say the, the caricature that I had going into Provo was probably like, these people um, think that abortion, like, uh, should never happen, ever, 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 ever. Even on the most extreme, Or yeah, never happened, even on the most extreme cases. And then I met people, and almost always they were like, "No, there's, there's There's you know this scenario, this scenario, or here's like, I don't know, some example of it in my life." Um, And and I was like, "Then why would you identify with this party that is?" And they're like, "Well," and it kind of goes, I think back to your point around intention, right? Which is like, I think sometimes people have I in you know I like the the dichotomy of behavior versus intention, and intention is like. Kind of like what you you know you're only really aware of your own intention, right? You you know why you're doing things. You don't necessarily know why anyone else is. You kind of have to assume to some level, and then yeah, right. So like the in general, when I when I see someone who I politically align with do something, I can almost guess their intent, and I always am going to put that intent in a pretty positive place. Whereas sometimes I can see someone else do something, and I might be like, oh, they have a bad intent. Uh, But then often as I get closer to them and I figure it out, I'm like, oh, I finally understand. And the same thing with, like, with Bernie, he might say something and then, uh, you know, a conservative friend of mine would, will, I message me or something, you know, and be like, hey, Bernie said this, like, how could you support this person? And I almost always, I'm like, this is what he meant. (laughs) Even though I don't know what he meant, but I have a pretty good guess. uh, Right. And I, in general, I just, I'm just, you know, that's kind of my bias is to be like, okay, why I believe Bernie's a good person. So like, let's figure out what he really meant by this. And then I would sort of text him about uh, another politician that he he might've supported. um, And they would do the exact same thing. Like it would even be with Trump, for example. Um, Like I remember asking him about the impeachment. I was like, hey, this is, I saw this tweet uh, that it made a really convincing case to me about why Trump should be impeached. Uh, and then I sent it to him. I was like, "What do you think?" Uh, like, and he and he sent me back something else, and was like, "That's really valid point. Uh, this is something I've read that makes a really good case for why Trump should not be impeached. You should go read it. And it's by this constitutional lawyer at Harvard, who's a Harvard law professor or something like that, who like taught Obama or something. You know, like some incredibly credentialed person. And he basically, we kind of came to this conclusion of like, we have no clue." <laughs> Like we, we, you know, we, we both think we kind of have a good idea about it, but the truth is this person is incredibly knowledgeable. I feel like this other person is, and they disagree. And both of those people know a lot more than we do. And so, you know, like we just don't know. And I think it's kind of where we are, I think as society, um, is we just don't know and, Like there's so many problems that I think are so new to us that like, I, I think that's kind of a lot of where my going back to that original tweet, like that judgment is like, we just don't, we're trying to solve problems in the dark in a sense. And yeah. we're not. And so like when you judge someone for the way they vote, you might be kind of dismissing like that, like that intent. And you're kind of in, in assuming, you know, you're you're saying like they're responsible for the outcome completely, which maybe they should be less responsible for. Um,
0: that, yeah, I think it, I think it is hard, right? It's very hard to say, um, well, you know, Sahil and Rand, you voted for Barack Obama. And so the fact that I have affordable medical care now, uh, you get credit for it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, that feels not quite accurate, right? I think that the responsibility and, and um, uh, you know, the the powerful positives that that's brought to the United States and to to hundreds of millions of Americans, rests distributed. And similarly, um, it should probably be just the blame and fault should be distributed when we have these, these fundamental core disagreements. Um, Exactly.
1: I think, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, I think, no, is often when, when good things happen, it's easy to say, oh, this, you know, thanks, Obama, right? Like this is, because of Obama. Non-
0: non-ironic, thanks Obama. Yeah, non-ironic, thanks Obama,
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then when something bad happens, it's like, that's Trump's fault. Um, and I think if you, if you catch yourself doing that over and over and over again, you might, you might have fallen into the trap of like, confirmation yeah. bias. Uh, and I yeah. noticed this, right, like the, the I, I don't, a lot, of, a lot of my friends, the economies, you, you know, as of uh, a month ago, uh, was doing phenomenally, right, uh, and and Trump uh, has been in office for three years or whatever, and uh, and ev- a very common sentiment on Twitter was, uh, thanks Obama, basically, right, not ironically. it's like, Trump's taking credit, but actually this is due to a lot of what Obama did in 08, uh, and none of those people have said this crash is due to Obama in 08 and the stuff that he put in place, and I think that the answer is is complex, as you mentioned. You cannot Draw a straight line, um, and there, there, there are things that probably Obama and Trump deserve blame for, and Obama and Trump deserve fault for, and that includes great things that happen to our economy, um, and 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 not great things. And also, I think they 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 don't deserve blame and credit for things like there is a huge system at play here. Yes, and the Obama the, the sort of Obama stuff made some impact. We're never really going to know what the alternative of that would have been like if romney or whatever won what would he have implemented how would that have changed things if trump or hillary like what that would have done and you know the scenario that we're in now and and that's the really fascinating thing about something like covid is because it's so you can't blame anybody really i mean maybe you could blame like the chinese government for suppressing information and things Uh, i I
0: certainly i think that's a yeah i I think that there are some. Yeah. There are some obvious things that I think you would you would point out and say this was wrong and in yeah. retrospect very right very terrible move like we underinvested in you know immunology research yes. at critical times we yes. you know, dismissed the head of CDC whatever like yeah, that's true. bad moves Seattle uh, almost certainly should have been locked down way sooner mm-hmm. right we should have we should have uh, collectively quarantined way sooner right so that falls on potentially all of us. Yeah. Individually, uh, Yeah, seems pretty obvious. There might be other
1: ways, like, I remember, like, in January, uh, Trump uh, shut down the border against China um, in in early, or late January, and Chuck Schumer, I think, tweeted basically being like, that's racist. Um, And he deleted the tweet, uh, (laughs) because it it turns out, I I don't know what, again, I don't know what Trump's intents were behind that. My guess is, knowing the fallout since, that they must have had some idea that this thing was coming, and 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 uh, and it was kind of or 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 not. I don't know. Uh,
0: well, now, clearly, now Trump
1: is, certainly takes credit for doing that.
0: Yeah, patient zero, right, was a a guy from the Seattle area who mm-hmm. went to Wuhan and was visiting relatives there and mm-hmm. came back. You know, just an ordinary tourist, right? And. Mm-hmm. Came back, and if those if those borders had been locked up, whatever, five or six days earlier, hmm. uh, you know, potentially a different story. I, I'm sure he, you know, that person probably would have found another way to get to the U.S. Yeah, so yeah, they, that's
1: the. It kind of almost gets into determinism, right? Which yeah. is like Bill Gates did that talk at TED in Vancouver in 2012, I think, where he basically says the next, the biggest threat humanity faces. Uh, is not World War Three. It's a virus. It's an influenza virus um, that spreads incredibly quickly and is asymptomatic to most people, um, and has an incubation period of several days, if not uh, a couple weeks. Like he kind of described. Uh, it's a little spooky. It's a little spooky, but also like probably shows that he seeing Ebola, seeing what he's done with Zika, like he he knows like right the the sort of the threat level potential of this. He also knows that mo- most viruses never get that far and fall out or, you know, they, they, they kill too quickly or whatever, they don't spread, et cetera. But he, yeah, he was like, look, this thing, if, 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 if there's an event in which like 30 million people die, it will be an influenza virus. Um, I can't tell you if that's gonna happen, if that's gonna happen tomorrow in 30 years. Um, if that's gonna happen once and then every year after, we don't know, but if it happens, there's a good idea. Um, and I think that's a lot of, I think going talking about voting and other things, I feel like that's a pretty core theme is just, you don't know the Im- impact you're gonna make. So you should like, you don't know the, the outcome of your actions always. Hmm. So what you should focus on, I think is you should be hopefully really, you know, you should be knowledgeable about the intent that you wanna have. You should also share, I think your intent I think it's really helpful to be like this is why I did something. So at least then no one has has to guess.
0: I, I mean, certainly this is a this is a big um, you know check mark in favor of rank choice voting.
1: Yes, like in primaries
0: and in the in the general election because I think you could you could perceive a lot from someone's um, intent by looking at their rank choice of one two three or one two three four five. Yeah. You know. You yeah.
1: Might, yeah. That's the thing that often Democrats get into, right? Is like the Bernie Bros and the like. Are they going to go to war? Are they not going to vote? And it's like, well, if you really, you know, it should it should be possible for me to tell you, actually, look, like I don't
0: care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, or I do care, or whatever. I think one of the one of the things that that um, voting that is true about voting in the United States, in particular, uh, but in democracies across the world, is that it is. Fundamentally, your job is not to uh, choose, not to exclusively vote for the best candidate, but rather to avoid the worst choice. Mm. Right, and that's true whether you're voting on propositions, you know, direct things in your local city government, whether you're voting for judges, whether you're voting for presidents, Congress people, uh, etc. Right, the, the your fundamental job is pick the least bad option once presented with the choices. That's the only. Thing that you can do, um, and that is frustrating. I think for a lot of people, I think that's why many folks complain about the two-party system and mm-hmm. the structure that we have. Rank choice obviously is a is a great way to solve this, but um, yeah, it's just it, it just is what it is. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And Saul, so, I apologize. I'm going to have to run. No um, problem. This is awesome. This, this has been amazing. I can't wait to see um, see it put out there and and edited. I'm. <laughs> I, I am both dreading and looking forward to the comments <laughs> that we will potentially receive. But um, yeah. I think overall, you know, it is, um, it's really wonderful to have such an open conversation with, with someone like yourself and to be able to take what was arguably a really um, negative interaction, right? Like a, I tweet this thing and yeah. then like Rand's like, I super disagree with this, <laughs> you know? Um, and well, thank you yeah. Yeah, we're not nasty to each other, but but we, you know, we're we're friends, we're comrades. Like we're we're um, we're certainly the, in in this disagree, together. Agree on far more of this than we disagree on. I bet that's true, as our conversation pointed out, for a huge majority of even very polarized Americans.
1: Yeah, and I think the the last point I would just add to that is because we know that and we've had interactions before, we're allowed to almost have this terse interaction, and I know you're not a stranger I know where you're coming from and I always as I mentioned before like I assume good intent behind it yes which but but if you are not familiar with our relationship you might see that you might follow both of us and you might be like these two people abhor each other yeah Uh, and so that's I think another a a great uh, a reason to do this and to put this out and I'm excited to see that as well